0: Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lois Chapter 7 How the Adventure Ended Look at what, said Edmund. Look at the device on the gold, said Caspian. A little hammer with a diamond above it, like a star, said Julian. Why, I've seen that before. Seen it, said Caspian. Why, well, of course you have. It is the sign of a great Narnian house. This is the Lord Octasian's armory. Villain, said Reaper Cheap to the dragon, have you devoured a Narnian lord? But the dragon shook his head violently. Or perhaps, said Lucy, this is the Lord Octasian, turned into a dragon under an enchantment, you know. It needn't be either, said Edmund. All dragons collect gold, but I think it's a safe guess that Octasian got no further than this island. Are you the Lord Octasian? "'said Lucy to the dragon, and then when it sadly shook its head, "'Are you someone enchanted? Someone human, I mean?' "'It nodded violently, and then someone said. "'People disputed afterwards whether it was Lucy or Edmund said it first. "'You're not, not Eustace by any chance.' "'And Eustace nodded his terrible dragon head and thumped his tail in the sea, "'and everyone skipped back. "'Some of the sailors with ejaculations I will not put down in writing.' to avoid the enormous and boiling tears which flowed from his eyes. Lucy tried hard to console him, and even screwed up her courage to kiss the scaly face, and nearly everyone said, hard luck, and several assured Eustace that they would all stand by him, and many said there was sure to be some way of disenchanting him, and they'd have him as right as rain in a day or two. And of course, they were all very anxious to hear his story, but he couldn't speak. More than once in the days that followed, he attempted to write it for them in the sand, but this never succeeded. In the first place, Eustace, never having read the right books, had no idea how to tell a story straight, and for another thing, the muscles and nerves of the dragon claws that he had to use had never learned to write and were not built for writing anyway. As a result, he never got nearly to the end before the tide came in and washed away all the writing except the bits he had already trotted on or accidentally swished out with his tail. And all that anyone had seen would be something like this. The dots are for the bits he had smudged out. I would not just leave resp- a grun's, I mean, a guns cave cause it was dead and ain't so hard. Woke up and could get off my arm, oh bother was, however, clear to everyone that Eustace's character had been rather improved by becoming a dragon. He was anxious to help. He flew over the whole island and found that it was all mountainous and inhabited only by wild goats and droves of wild swine. Of these he brought back many carcasses as provisions for the ship. He was a very humane killer, too, for he could dispatch a beast with one blow of his tail so that it didn't know, and presumably still doesn't know, It had been killed he ate a few himself of course but always alone for now that he was a dragon he liked his food raw but he could never bear to let others see him at his messy meals and one day flying slowly and warily but in great triumph he bore back to camp a great tall pine tree which he had torn up by the roots in a distant valley and which could be made into a capital mast And in the evening, if it turned chilly, as it sometimes did after the heavy rains, he was a comfort to everyone, for the whole party would come and sit with their backs against his hot sides and get well warmed and dried. And one puff of his fiery breath would light the most abstinent fire. Sometimes he would take a select party for a fly on his back so that they could see wheeling below them the green slopes, the rocky heights, the narrow pit-like valleys and far out over the sea to the eastward, a spot of dark blue on the horizon which must be land. The pleasure, quite new to him, of being liked, and still more, of liking other people, was what kept Eustace from despair, for it was very dreary being a dragon. He shuddered whenever he caught sight of his own reflection as he flew over a mountain lake. He hated the huge bat-like wings, the saw-edged ridge on his back, and the cruel curved claws. He was almost afraid to be alone with himself, and yet he was ashamed to be with the others. On the evenings when he was not being used as a hot water bottle, he would slink away from the camp and lie curled up like a snake between the wood and the water. On such occasions, greatly to his surprise, Reepicheep was his most constant comforter. The noble mouse would creep away from the merry circle at the campfire and sit down by the dragon's head well to the windward to be out of the way of his smokery breath. There he would explain that what had happened to Eustace was a striking illustration of the turn of fortune's wheel, and that if he had Eustace at his own house in Narnia, it was really a hole, not a house, and the dragon's head, let alone his body, would not have fit in. He could show him more than a hundred examples of emperors, kings, dukes, knights, poets, lovers, astronomers. Philosophers and magicians who had fallen from prosperity into the most distressing circumstances, and of whom many had recovered and lived happily ever afterward. It did not perhaps seem so very comforting at the time, but it was kindly meant, and Eustace never forgot it. But of course, what hung over everyone like a cloud was the problem of what to do with their dragon when they were ready to sail. They tried not to talk of it when he was there, but he couldn't help overhearing things like he fit it all along one side of the deck and we'd have to shift all the stools to the other side down below so as to balance or would towing him be any good or would he be able to keep up by flying and most often of all but how are we to feed him and poor Eustace realized more and more that since the first day he came on board he had been an unmitigated nuisance and that he was now a greater nuisance still. And this ate into his mind, just as that bracelet ate into his foreleg. He knew that it only made it worse to tear at it with his great teeth, but he couldn't help tearing now and then, especially on hot nights. About six days after they had landed on Dragon Island, Edmund happened to wake up very early one morning. It was just getting gray so that you could see the tree trunks if they were between you and the bay, but not in the other direction. As he woke, he thought he heard something moving, so he raised himself on one elbow and looked about him. Presently, he thought he saw a dark figure moving on the seaward side of the wood. The idea that at once occurred to his mind was, are we so sure there are no natives on this island after all? Then he thought it was Caspian. It was about the right size, but he knew that Caspian had been sleeping next to him and could see that he hadn't moved. Edmund made sure that his sword was in its place, and then rose to investigate. He came down softly to the edge of the wood, and the dark figure was still there. He saw now that it was too small for Caspian, and too big for Lucy. It did not run away. Edmund drew his sword and was about to challenge the stranger, when the stranger said in a low voice, Is that you, Edmund? Yes, who are you? said he. "'Don't you know me?' said the other. "'It's me, Eustace.' "'By Jove!' said Edmund. "'So it is. My dear chap!' "'Hush!' said Eustace, and lurched as if he were going to fall. "'Hello!' said Edmund, steadying him. "'What's up? Are you ill?' "'Eustace was silent for so long that Edmund thought he was fainting. "'But at last he said, "'It's been ghastly. You don't know, but it's all right now.' "'Could we go and talk somewhere? I don't want to meet the others just yet.' "'Yes, rather, anywhere you like,' said Edmund. "'We can go and sit on the rocks over there. "'I say, I am glad to see you, uh, looking yourself again. "'You must have had a pretty beastly time.' "'They went to the rocks and sat down, looking out across the bay, "'while the sky got paler and paler, and the stars disappeared, "'except for one very bright one low down and near the horizon.' "'I won't tell you how I became a dragon till I can tell the others and get it all over,' said Eustace. "'By the way, I didn't even know it was a dragon till I heard you all using the word when I turned up here the other morning. "'I want to tell you how I stopped being one.' "'Fire ahead,' said Edmund. "'Well, last night I was more miserable than ever, and that beastly arm ring was hurting like anything. "'Is that all right now?' Eustace laughed. A different laugh from any Edmund had heard him give before, and slipped the bracelet easily off his arm. There it is, he said, and anyone who likes can have it as far as I'm concerned. Well, as I was saying, I was lying awake and wondering what on earth would become of me. Then, but mind you, it may have been all a dream. I don't know. Go on, said Edmund, with considerable patience. Well, anyway, I looked up and saw... The very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming slowly toward me. And one queer thing was that there was no moon last night, but there was moonlight where the lion was. So it came nearer and nearer. I was terribly afraid of it. You may think that, being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough. But it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you can understand. Well, it came close up to me and looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight. But that wasn't any good, because it told me to follow it. You mean it spoke? I don't know. Now that you mention it, I don't think it did. But it told me all the same, and I knew I'd have to do what it told me. So I got up and followed it, and it led me along way into the mountains. And there was always this moonlight over and around the lion wherever he went. So, at last, we came to the top of a mountain I'd never seen before, and on the top of this mountain there was a garden, trees and fruit and everything. In the middle of it, there was a well. I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom of it, but it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. The water was as clear as anything, and I thought, if I could get in there and bathe, ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on, when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sort of things, and snakes can cast to their skins. Oh, of course, thought I, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana in a minute or two I just stepped out of it I could see it lying there beside me looking rather nasty it was a most lovely feeling so I started to go down into the well for my bath but just as I was going to put my feet into the water I looked down and saw they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. No, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get it off too. So I scratched and tore again and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped, and left it lying beside the other one, and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again, and I thought to myself, Oh dear. Ever many skins have I got to take off, for I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked in at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now so I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sauce place, it hurts like a billy. But it is such fun to see it coming away." I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much. For I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smelted like anything, but only for a moment. After that it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. You'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they've no muscle and are pretty mouldy compared with Caspian's. I was so glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Dressed you? With his paws? Well, I don't exactly remember that bit. But he did somehow or other in new clothes. The same I've got on now, as a matter of fact. And then suddenly I was back here. Which is what makes me think it must have been a dream. No, it wasn't a dream, said Edmund. Why not? Well, there are the clothes, for one thing. And you have been, well, undragoned for another. What do you think it was then? asked Eustace. I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. Aslan, said Eustace. I've heard that name mentioned several times since you have joined the Dawn Treader. And I felt, I don't know what. I hated it. But I was hating everything then. By the way, I'd like to apologise. I'm afraid I've been pretty beastly. "'That's all right,' said Edmund. "'Between ourselves, you haven't been as bad as I was on my first trip to Narnia. "'You were only an ass, but I was a traitor.' "'Well, don't tell me about it, then,' said Eustace. "'But who is Aslan? Do you know him?' "'Well, he knows me,' said Edmund. "'He is the Great Lion, the son of the Emperor Beyond the Sea, "'who saved me and saved Narnia. "'We've all seen him, Lucy sees him most often.' it may be Aslan's country we're sailing to." Neither said anything for a while. The last bright star had vanished, and though they could not see the sunrise because of the mountains on their right, they knew it was going on, because the sky above them and the bay before them turned the color of roses. Then some bird of the parrot kind screamed in the wood behind them, they heard movements among the trees, and finally a blast on Caspian's horn. The camp was astir. Great was the rejoicing when Edmund and the restored Eustace walked into the breakfast circle round the campfire. And now, of course, everyone heard the earlier part of his story. People wondered whether the other dragon had killed the Lord Octasian several years ago, or whether Octasian himself had been the old dragon. The jewels with which Eustace had crammed his pockets in the cave had disappeared, along with the clothes he had then been wearing. But no one, least of all Eustace himself, any desire to go back to that valley for more treasure. In a few days now, the Dawn Treader, remasked, repainted, and well-stored, was ready to sail. Before they embarked, Caspian caused to be cut on a smooth cliff facing the bay, the words, Dragon Island, discovered by Caspian X, King of Narnia, etc., in the fourth year of his reign. Here, as we suppose, the Lord of Casian had his death. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that, from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome, but most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. The Lord Octasian's arm ring had a curious fate. Eustace did not want it and offered it to Caspian, and Caspian offered it to Lucy. She did not care about having it. There he wailed in. Catch as catch can, said Caspian, and flung it up in the air. This was when they were all standing, looking at the inscription. Up went the ring, flashing in the sunlight, and caught and hung as neatly as a well-thrown quit on a little projection on the rock. No one could climb up to get it from below, and no one could climb down to get it from above. And there, for all I know, It is hanging still and may hang till that world ends.